Before we get going with episode 86 of the show, a few words from our friends at Keeneland. The 2021 fall meeting is upon us. If you haven't already checked it out, make sure you look at the all-turf pick three. It's new for the fall meeting. It's a $3 minimum wager following the same rules as the traditional pick three. There's a 15% takeout if you're someone playing with a wagering terminal or on an ADW. It will be listed as the Keeneland turf pick three. It's someone, if, if, you, if you enjoy multi-race wagers, but especially so if you're someone who enjoys turf racing, you have to check out the Turf Pick 3 available at Keeneland this fall. Keeneland Select got a special bonus for wagers on Keeneland. New signups who wager $200 on the fall meeting will receive $100 back into their account. Wager another $100 for a total of $300 in your first 30 days, and you will receive another $100 back. In a nutshell, to summarize, bet $300. On the Keeneland Fall Meet, as a new member, you will get $200 back. You have to use the promo code ITM21. And a couple of contests to make you aware of. The BCBC NHC contest comes up this Saturday, October the 16th. It is QE2 Day down at Keeneland. It's open to both in-person and remote participation. It's definitely an event that you want to get involved in. If you are down there at Keeneland or you're in the area, on Sunday, there's a $400 Fall Challenge. It must be played in person. You have to be at Keeneland if you want to play in the Fall Challenge on Sunday. That's a $400 buy-in. For all the details, head on over to Keeneland.com slash racing slash wagering. And you already know about the guaranteed wagers, guaranteed pick fours. Occasionally, you got a guaranteed pick five in there as well on the weekend. It's turf stakes all over the place down there. The Keeneland Fall 2021 meeting. If you haven't checked it out already, where have you been? We had all sorts of great Breeders' Cup Challenge Series races this past weekend, and there's still plenty more to come at the Keeneland fall meet for 2021 now on to episode 86 of the pod what's happening welcome to the matt bernier show part of the in the money media network my name is matt bernier you can follow me on twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Tuesday, October the 12th, 2021. This is episode 86 of the pod. However you listen, thank you for doing so. You've got a few different ways you can find the show. If you're somebody who just listens to the audio, which this week, that's all you're going to get, even if you do typically watch over on YouTube. But audio only, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and themoneypodcast.com, just to name a few spots. You also do have YouTube. Typically, you can watch along. All you got to do Head on over to YouTube.com, search bar Matt Bernier Show. You'll get this episode along with the 85 prior. Uh, this week, if you are on YouTube, all you're going to get is the title card slate. Sorry. I'm still in a hotel in Stanford, Connecticut. I'm looking out my window right now. It looks like a beautiful day outside. I'm going to get some lunch here pretty quick and get ready for another production meeting. We have one more NBCSN show on Wednesday afternoon from 4 to 5 Eastern talking about the Jessamine from Keeneland for two-year-old fillies on grass as well as a bit of a, a preview looking ahead to the Breeders' Cup World Championships. It's been uh, a lot of fun for me this past week down here in studio. First time uh, I've ever been able to do something like this with NBC, so I'm uh, very grateful for the opportunity, and I've had a great time doing so. And uh, this is going to be a shorter show than usual, just because I don't have all my the luxury of all my stuff that I typically do at home in my office. But I do think it's a good opportunity to just sort of do a quick look back at some of the events that we saw this past weekend and assess how many of those results are potentially ones that could have some sort of an outcome on the Breeders' Cup. And let's start off with the racing from Keeneland. And I'll talk a little bit, very little bit about some racing from Belmont Park. But 
for all intents and purposes, the Keeneland racing, I thought it was all really good, and you had some pretty spectacular performances. The question now becomes, do you think any of the winners or the horses who ran in those races behind the winners that are preps for the Breeders' Cup, do you think anyone is a legitimate threat to win whatever division they're running in? So if we go back to last Friday, the Phoenix, a nice performance from Special Reserve, a nice performance from Aloha West, I think you have to ask yourself, do you genuinely look at a horse like Special Reserve and view him as a a threat to Jackie's Warrior or anyone else who may be running in that sprint division? Dr. Shivel. You know, Special Reserve's a really nice horse. All he does is show up and run his race. He's going to earn a triple-digit buyer speed figure. But in my heart of hearts, I don't really think he's a threat to Jackie's Warrior. I don't know that for certain, but push comes to shove, I think I would be surprised if he were the horse to defeat Jackie's Warrior. Um, Aloha West, I thought it was a really good performance considering how wide he was, but I can't help but get the nagging suspicion that he's a horse that wants seven-eighths or a one-turn mile. I would love to see him in a race like the Cigar Mile at the end of the year. I just wonder if three-quarters is a little bit sharp for a horse like that. Doesn't mean he can't win, but I think he would need some ideal, an ideal scenario to play out in order for him to prevail in a race like the Breeders' Cup, should they choose to go there. As far as the Alcibiades is concerned, Juju's map is a very talented filly. I would... I, I like that she's proven going two turns. I like that we're at a position now where she has shown that she doesn't have to have the lead, which I think is very, very important in a race like the Alcibiades or any of these two-year-old races where you stretch out in distance... Because more often than not, you're going to end up with very, very hot paces. These two-year-olds are figuring things out naturally. Per- precociousness kind of takes over. Speed typically prevails early on. You get a few of them that want to go out there, and they haven't quite shown that ability to sit off of a target and still be effective. Juju's map's already done that. From a speed figure standpoint, she's not necessarily the fastest, but it's not as though she's miles off. I like this progression, 77 to 80 to 84 in her first three starts. The concern is now, can she jump up 10 points? Because I think it may take a, a low to mid-90 to win the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies, considering you've got horses like Ain't Easy and you've got Zulu Echo, uh, Echo Zulu in there as well for Steve Asmussen. You've got some other talented Phillies as well. Juju's map, though, she makes a lot of sense. She looks the, she looks the part, put it that way. She's been brilliant in her route races so far. You go to Saturday at Keeneland, where we saw a number of really strong performances. Let's start off with the sprint, the turf sprint division, where Golden Pal, I'm at a point now where you look at it and know the speed figure was not ballistic, but, I mean, this is a horse that just hasn't really gotten out of first gear when he's been here in the United States. I mean, he's just basically waltzed over these fields, and I know he only won by three-quarters of a length last year in the juvenile turf sprint, but... I never thought he really looked like he was going to lose. His North American starts have been spectacular. And I think he's going to be among the favorites, if not the outright favorite, when we get out to Del Mar. And deservedly so. Now, if you're looking for a reason to knock him, maybe if he doesn't get the lead for whatever reason, maybe he can't win. I don't know. But from what I saw in the Woodford on Saturday... Yeah, he, he's on the short list, and to no one's surprise, it's a Wesley Ward turf sprinter. This is what Wesley Ward does. He gets these horses that are brilliant 
going five, five and a half furlongs on grass, and they just basically run the competition off their feet. He deserves to be a short price in the Breeders' Cup. Whether you want to say that he is the most likely winner of that race, that's another story. Bell's the one in the TCA. Thought it was a nice performance, given the fact that I think she's better going slightly longer at seven-eighths of a mile. The concern becomes, can you beat Gamine in a race that looks, I don't want to say paceless, because you do have the filly, the three-year-old filly from New York, and her name is slipping my mind, Bella Sofia for Rudy Rodriguez. You know, at least she could probably keep things honest early on, but when when the real running begins, I just think Gamine is going to be too tough. Now, if they get into a duel, and Bell's the one who's going to come with her typical run from off the pace, then maybe you're looking at an upset special there. But it looks like right now that's going to be a relatively short field with a very, very heavy favorite. Maybe Bell's the one's good enough to turn the tables, but from what I've seen so far, I mean, the race goes through Gamine as long as her foot is feeling okay. Good performance, nonetheless, from Bell's the one in the TCA. Move on to the First Lady. I don't know what race any of these girls are going to go to or scheduled to go to if any but if you had told me going into it and sometimes we overthink this as handicappers chad over chad over aiden o'brien over uh charlie appleby that's your superfecta right there for a buck it comes back 990 dollars trifecta of chad chad aiden comes back about 400 for a buck sometimes we overthink this thing Blowout defeats Regal Glory, defeats Empress Josephine, defeats Althika. 102 buyers for each of the top two, 101 for Empress Josephine. I'm I'm dubious about a mile and three-eighths for really any of these horses. Um, but then again, at a flat mile against some of the boys, you know, do you like Blowout's chances being forwardly placed? Because it feels like that's her best game when she just goes out there and wings it on the front. I think Regal Glory is a really interesting candidate, but that's far and away the fastest she's ever run. I don't know. The the mile division as a whole is interesting, and we'll get more to that in a bit when we talk about the Keeneland Turf Mile. But these girls in this first lady, I'm not sure where any of them really stack up from a Breeders' Cup standpoint. The Claiborne Breeders' Futurity. Rattle and roll. We talked about it on the NBCSN show on Saturday. He is the definition of the handicapping conundrum. And his price was a little bit short for me to fully buy in. But what do you do when your eye tells you you've got a very good racehorse, but the clock says we've got a ways to go? I chose to go, I I picked him second in here behind the horse that I put on top, which was Great Escape, who ended up taking quite a bit of late money. Had I known he would have gone off at six, maybe I would have thought otherwise. But point being, I'm of the opinion that when you have a horse that looks good, but is a little slow, you can take a chance when you're in that 12, 13, 14, 15 in north range. Rattle and roll at 8. That's pushing it a little bit for a horse who just was not particularly fast coming into the race, but he looked fantastic given all the adversity he had overcome. Now, with this race, the 81 buyer, if that is, in fact, the number... It looks light compared to some of the other horses that he's going to run against, but I'll tell you what, he looks, I think he is very, very good. I think he could be a serious three-year-old. Maybe the juvenile is a little bit too much, but if he gets a little pace to run at, rattle and roll is a very sneaky candidate, I think, for a race like the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. You know Corniche is going to be a short price. You know Jack Christopher is going to be a short price. I mean, heck, command performance is probably going to be a pretty short price. You're all of a sudden looking at a group of runners who... 
it's going to be a top-heavy market. And this horse rattle and roll and maybe some other runners, they could easily slip through the cracks. Uh, I think this could be a group that maybe you want to keep an eye on. Rattle and roll, winning the futurity with an 81 buyer, if that is in fact the number. And then we wrap things up on Saturday with the Keeneland Turf Mile. And I just thought all around, you know, I, I liked In Love. I picked him. He ends up winning at 12-1. to 1. Another killer because he... he he goes into the gate at, I think, 24 to 1. And when they pop, he's down at 12, which is annoying. But, I mean, look, that's just the nature of the beast these days in horse racing. The Blinkers, he is he is case in point. If you want to look at a horse that has a different dimension now that the Blinkers have gone on, or basically just, more broadly put, an equipment change. He had always hinted at ability. You go through his past performances, he had some really nice runs. They put the blinkers on in that race at Kentucky Downs, and bang, he explodes. You need to always be aware of those sort of things. Don't just look at the figs and the company that they've been keeping. You need to look for little differences, whether blinkers go on or blinkers go off. Maybe all of a sudden workouts change, where they've gone from working slow to working fast. And what is the sort of line of demarcation? Did you see a great improvement? after that little change because if that's the case you can occasionally find some of these horses that are going to offer generous prices that maybe from a class standpoint they don't necessarily stack up but they're right there from a fig standpoint and visually it looks like they turn the corner that's what the case was for in love coming into this race and he lived up to that sort of feeling that that expectation of mine i thought he should have been six to one and he got the job done looking honestly like a three to one winner now, the question becomes, is that good enough? The 103 buyer that he earned, is that going to be good enough to win the Breeders' Cup mile? Keeping in mind, you also have to factor this in. Each of these two most recent stars for him at Kentucky Downs and Keeneland have been ideal trips. Alex Achard has given this horse perfect rides in each of the past two runs. Typically, you don't want to continue to bet on horses coming off of perfect trips but there's a real chance that he's going to be another playable price, maybe close to this 12 to 1 in the mile. And then you compare that to the first lady, the group we just talked about, with the girls who they've got some speed, they've got a number of different running styles, but do any of them stack up favorably against quality older runners, quality males, quality Europeans? These are questions for you to decide what you want to do from a handicapping standpoint. Sunday, I don't know what we really saw in the big picture as far as Breeders' Cup kind of implications from Keeneland. We start off early on. I think Averly Jane is really good. She's going to be among the favorites, if not the favorite, for the juvenile turf sprint. A lot of it will depend on what comes over from Europe, but she's been brilliant in all of her starts. The reason I say I don't know what we really saw from a Breeders' Cup standpoint is she's going to be the favorite. I'm not breaking any news here. She's paired up by her tops of 86. I think she's going to take another step forward. I think she's going to be an absolute bear out in Southern California. You move on to the spinster, Latruska. She runs her race each and every time. She just shows up and runs her race. 101 buyer. Her last five speed figures have been 102, 103, 102, 101, 101. She goes right to the front and never looks back. The question now becomes, is anyone else going to apply any kind of pressure early on? Because purely a fact. And yes, she was making up ground on She Dares the Devil in the Azari earlier this year from off the pace. But purely a fact. 
in the United States, she's never won without the lead. So does private mission go after her early on in the distaff? Does she dares the devil go after her early in the distaff? And if any of them make the front and Latruska doesn't, does that take her out of her element? Maybe the pace heats up a little earlier. And if that's the case, does it set up for a horse like Malathot to rally from off of it and get the job done? The rest of the girls, as I said on the show on Sunday, simply put, I know all of them. Dunbar Road, Bonnie South, Crystal Ball, I know all of them. They're not. They're just not as fast. They're not as good. Can someone go early and keep Latruska honest? Because if they do, perhaps it sets up for someone else to get the job done in the distaff. And in the finale on Sunday, the Bourbon, for Tis the Bomb to win that race after breaking through the gate, I think it speaks volumes about how good he is, but I think it's fair to question what else was running in this race if he's able to do that, overcome it, and still win rather comfortably. Got a little goofy with his leads down the lane. These races are really, the two-year-old turf races especially, are, are really wait and see until we find out what's coming over from Europe. If you get some superstar two-year-old that comes over for Aiden or Charlie Appleby or whomever it is, or think about the two-year-olds that Appleby sent over for the racing at Woodbine. Compare these horses that we saw on Sunday to those horses. What do you think? Let me know about the Keeneland racing beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Overall, what we saw this past weekend all throughout and maybe what you think about the racing coming up on Wednesday, specifically the Alcibiades. The only other real race I'm going to talk about, and I know Belmont had a number of big races this weekend, uh, but simply put, bandwidth-wise and where I'm at right now, uh, I haven't done a great deal of work on those. I'm going to talk about the Vosburg, though. The Vosburg is a race that, when you look at it, following C wins the race, goes right to the front, 100 buyer speed figure. TBD, as far as the Breeders' Cup is concerned, and I appreciate that. Because truth be told, the real winners, in my opinion, from the Vosburg, it's not following C. Forenze Fire deserves a mulligan. He breaks through the gate. They reload him. He runs a decent second. The real winners from the Vosburg are the favorite in the sprint, Jackie's Warrior, and the favorite in the dirt mile, Life is Good. Because following C finished nine lengths behind those two in the Allen Jerkins at Saratoga at the end of August. And he comes back and wins a grade two against older horses by almost five lengths. And solid older horses. They may not be spectacular, but solid. Forenze Fire's a good horse. Baby Yoda had a rough trip. I I just am having a really difficult time seeing who's going to defeat Jackie's Warrior and life is good as each day passes I, I keep I maintain I think if he ran in the classic he would be the winner he'd probably be who I would pick and if he goes in the dirt mile like it sounds like he's going to I think it's Liam's map all over again I think the real winner from the Vosburg on Saturday was Jackie's Warrior and Life is Good the favorites in both the Breeders' Cup Sprint and the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile let me know what your thoughts are about this race as well beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. We're going to wrap up this week's show. Again, I know it's a little bit of a lighter one, only about a half hour, maybe add on a couple of minutes, but and maybe it's not the most substantive of them all, but 
working with what I got here in this hotel in uh, Stanford, Connecticut. Uh, we're going to wrap up looking at some forecasts for 538 as we head into week six of the National Football League. Oh, and by the way, follow me over on Twitter. Uh, I've been My baseball model has been very, very strong so far throughout the postseason. Uh, seven and three coming into uh, this Tuesday afternoon slate of games. We've got one play coming up for the uh, Astros and White Sox game. Going to take the under eight in that spot. I think there's a pretty decent overlay. And then also, don't forget, over on NBC sportsedge.com we have opening night in the nhl on tuesday and my hockey write-ups will now again begin on a daily basis over there on nbcsports.com slash edge along with my premier league action for the weekend so if you're looking for all sorts of different betting action uh, follow me on twitter at bernie or underscore matt without further ado let's uh, take a look at nfl week six some forecasts for 538 NFL Week 6, going to take a look at some games as far as forecasts are concerned for 538. As I've said for the past few weeks, head on over to 538.com. You go through, you put in your prediction for the game, your forecast. It doesn't factor in the spread. All you're trying to do is identify the winner. Last week, I went 12-3. and um, One game was a push for me simply because I didn't have an opinion one way or the other, and it played out that way. The Green Bay and Cincinnati game, I had that tied at 21, and it was just a I don't know what you want to call it. It was a it was a mess as far as missed field goals are concerned for the duration of the game and for overtime. It just seemed like they continued to trade misses. Uh, so 12-3 and three last weekend. The big disappointment for me was Carolina. They were in control of the game for so long. I think it was like 15-3. to three, And then they just threw up on themselves in the fourth quarter. And not only did they lose, certainly they didn't cover the minus four, which I had bet. They didn't end up prevailing, which knocked me out of my survivor pool. So that was one of the three losses, which was kind of a pain in the rear end. But it is what it is. Overall, it's been a pretty solid season, uh, clicking off at about 65% with the winners, which, you know, that sounds good. But again, we're not factoring in the spread at this point. Uh, I think it can be better. I think we're getting to a point now where my model, my numbers are getting a little bit tighter as we have more data to sort of draw conclusions from. So we'll see how this week goes. We're going to go through each and every one of them, assess some probabilities, and also factor in what uh, I have from a power rating standpoint, what spreads could look like compared to what they actually are. So let's start off on Thursday. Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles are 6.5-point underdogs. These numbers I've pulled from DraftKings. Uh, I have Tampa winning 31-16. to 16. That's an 89% probability. The spread, though, is not nearly as aggressive as my numbers would suggest. I have this one being a pretty cut-and-dry victory for Tampa, winning by 15 points. Um, my power rating numbers, there's only about a seven-point difference. 6.92 points would be the margin that that piece projects. So a um, little bit of a discrepancy there. I do think Tampa is just, clearly, I'm not stating anything crazy, much better team than Philadelphia is. Philly, they broke my heart last week defeating Carolina, but I think Tampa gets through this one pretty comfortably, 31-16. to 16. Miami Dolphins at Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jags are three-and-a-half-point home underdogs. I have them winning. Outright, 17-16, to 16, which is kind of on par with my power rating differential, which is minus 0.07. So effectively, there's no difference between these two teams, in my opinion. Jacksonville, I think they can win this game. I think Miami's pretty terrible, if I'm being honest. Um, so I'm going to lean that way. That would be one that I would at least consider taking a look at the money line. It's not a super strong push, but 
catching three and a half points at home. I think Jacksonville wins this game 53% of the time. Minnesota Vikings at Carolina Panthers. The Panthers are one and a half point home favorites. I have them winning 21 to 20. So that's a one point difference with them being on top. My spread from my power ratings has them favored by 2.82 points. Um, uh, you know, again, it, it's a tough call because Minnesota has had their moments where they look terrible, but they also look brilliant. And Carolina, I don't know what you want to do with, with last weekend's game. Um, a disappointing loss for me. They should have been able to get the job done at home. I don't love them, but I do think they have a slight edge over Minnesota. I have that a 51% probability that Carolina defeats Minnesota. Green Bay Packers at Chicago Bears. The Bears are four and a half point home underdogs. I have Green Bay winning 23 to 18. Based on the power ratings, the Bears uh, suggest that this is actually a much closer game. The Bears are only underdogs by 1.39 points. Um, I'm going to lean more toward my model with a five-point differential that kind of jives with what Vegas has as far as the spread is concerned. I think Green Bay wins this game 62% of the time. The Houston Texans at the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts are 10-point favorites at home, and that's right on with my numbers. I have Indianapolis winning 25-15, to 15, although... The power rating differential has Indianapolis only a 1.46 point favorite at home, so do with that what you will. I do think Indianapolis is a better team despite the fact that they have their moments where they look god-awful. I think they win 76% of the time over Houston. Cincinnati Bengals at the Detroit Lions. The Lions are 3.5-point home dogs. I have Cincinnati winning 24-17 on the road. Uh, Based on my uh, power rating excuse me, differential with the spread, that's actually pretty accurate. Uh, That would have Detroit as 7.92-point underdogs. Excuse me. It's a mouthful to try to get out. Uh, So the seven-point differential that I have Cincinnati winning by, that seems to make sense. Uh, I think Cincinnati wins this game 66% of the time. Los Angeles Rams at the New York Giants. The Giants are 10.5-point home underdogs, another one that my numbers seem to jive with. I have the Rams winning 25-13 to based on the power rating spread. This would suggest that the Giants are 13.33-point home underdogs. So Pretty overwhelming, double-digit favoritism for the Rams across the board, in my opinion. I think they win on the road 84% of the time. Los Angeles Chargers at the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens are 3.5-point home favorites. I think the Chargers win this game rather comfortably. I have them winning this game by 9. Final score of 26-17 to based on the power rating spread. That's also kind of on par. It's got Baltimore as 7.98-point home underdogs, so... The power ratings and my model are more in line than what Vegas is suggesting this game should be. I think the Chargers win 74% of the time. Kansas City Chiefs at the Washington football team. Football team, 6.5-point home dogs. I have the Chiefs winning this game by 6 points, 33-27. to 27. Power ratings-wise, this suggests that the Chiefs are 9.17 favorites over the football team on the road. I mean, it's a dangerous piece because the the Chiefs can't stop anything. Their defense is just god-awful. I suggested that I thought Buffalo would win outright on Sunday night. I didn't think they would win by open lengths, but in fact, they did. I think the Chiefs, this is a desperation game. They have to win. They're going to give up points. I don't really have any question about that, but they got to win this one. I think they win 33-27, to and they win 64% of the time. Arizona Cardinals at the Cleveland Browns. The Browns are two-and-a-half-point home favorites. I think they lose this game by 10. I think Arizona wins 29-19 to based on my power ratings. The Browns are 3.86-point underdogs at home. 
Uh, I think Arizona wins this game 74% of the time. The Las Vegas Raiders at the Denver Broncos. The Broncos are three-point favorites at home. I have the Raiders winning 21-19. to um, Based on the power rating spread, this is actually pretty darn close to a, to a pick. Uh, the Broncos are 0.38-point home underdogs based on the power rating spread. I think the Raiders win this game 51% of the time. This is not a hard push one way or the other. Dallas Cowboys at the New England Patriots. The Patriots are four-and-a-half-point home dogs. There's nothing to me that I've seen so far that would suggest the Patriots can hang with the Cowboys. There just hasn't been, and it pains me to say that, but I think Dallas is very good. I have a 12-point difference. I think the Cowboys win this game 23-11. to The power ratings think it's an even larger spread. They have Dallas favored by 17.25 points. Uh, that seems like an aggressive number. Hell, even the 12 seems aggressive. But I do think the Cowboys are going to cover that 4.5-point spread. Uh, I think Dallas wins this game 80% of the time on the road in New England. Seattle Seahawks at the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers are 4.5-point home favorites. I think Seattle wins this game even with Geno Smith at the helm. I think they win 22 to 19 in Pittsburgh. Uh, Based on my power ratings, there's only about a half point difference. It has the Steelers favored by 0.52 points. I think Seattle wins this thing as a a road dog, excuse me, outright. They win 55% of the time. And then Monday night, look, I I don't know why this line is what it is. The Buffalo Bills at the Tennessee Titans. The Titans are four and a half point home underdogs. If you want to say this is a letdown game for Buffalo, fine if you want to say Tennessee may be a little bit better than what they've shown you that, that's your opinion I'll kindly disagree I I'm I'm sold on Buffalo I don't know what else anybody would need to see I think they're going to destroy Tennessee I do there's just nothing to me that would suggest this is going to be a, a remotely close game uh, I have Buffalo winning 34 to 16 that's a dump trucking and the power ratings think it's even worse uh, they have Buffalo favored by 22.12 points I think the Bills win this game, yes, and I'm going to say it, and I believe it, 95% of the time. Buffalo over Tennessee, 34-16. to There you have it, some Week 6 NFL forecasts for 538. Let me know what your thoughts are about any of these games beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt, and that's going to wrap up Episode 86. Uh, I will be heading home immediately after the Wednesday NBCSN show. Again, join us from 4 to 5 Eastern be going over the jessamine for the two-year-old fillies on turf and going over just basically a long view preview looking at the breeders cup world championships which are just a few weeks away at the del mar thoroughbred club at del mar in california looking forward to getting out there also looking forward to getting home for a couple of days but uh questions comments concerns as always beneath the video player on youtube or on twitter at bernier underscore matt and until next week when we start doing the deep dive into Breeders' Cup talk. Best of luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. This has been episode 86 of the Matt Bernier Show.